A 92nd minute try from Marlon Yard secured one of the most dramatic wins in sale history as the Sharks beat hated rivals Wasps 28-27 under the bright lights of the BT Sports cameras on Friday. That win leaves Sale in sixth with their destiny and playoff aspirations in their own hands. Joining me to discuss the unstoppable momentum of Sale's top four bid are Alex and James. Alex, how are you doing? We've won a game on the telly. I'm so happy. Does it, uh, does does this finally dispel this this ridiculous myth that Sale Sale can't win uh, can't win uh, whilst they're on TV? Uh, it didn't when we were seventeen nil down after <laughs> about ten minutes, mate. So you know we made a meal of it. Well, so, so someone who, someone who did believe in this in this TV myth uh, is is my other co-hosting partner James. James, how are you doing? Yeah, re- really pleased, mate. Really, really pleased. I do think there was probably a, a quite a strong positive correlation between whether we were on TV in the last two seasons and whether we won or not. Um, probably more of a stronger correlation than Friday or Saturday uh, rugby or whether even we're probably even home and away. Uh, I'd be interested to see those figures. But I think the point is that since the turn of the year, we're on a massive run, aren't we? So, you know, we just putting all these things aside now next next thing you know we'll start to be winning uh, away from home starting this friday <laughs> i was i was going to say i think if you're looking for correlations in sales results home versus away is the clearest one of the lot because when sale are playing at home they usually win and so when sale play away they usually lose and it's been about a 75 percent swing either way on, on on both occasions um Initial thoughts. I mean, twenty-eight, twenty-seven. It is a absolutely huge win in the context of the game. Uh, I, I mentioned it before. It was a dramatic game. As Alex said, seventeen-point swing to Wasp at the start. Sell come back into it. Sell then lose a lead. Danny Cipriani goes down with an injury in the eightieth minute. We have twelve minutes of added time, and then uh, Marlon Yard eventually strolls over in the corner for for not only a win. It's a win over Wasps, who I think we can all agree we dislike. It's a five-point win. Because of yard scoring that that fourth try, and it's just huge for where Sale are in the table. Alex, what does this result mean for Sale uh, in the context of, uh, of of the season? I think you just notice us getting talked about more as a top four side, which isn't we aren't. Um, and if we make the playoffs, it will be um, you know at, at the expense of teams who've been better than us through the season. I think, but it's it's nice to see Sale sort of. Rather than being an eighth and ninth and getting a passing mention on the rugby highlights show, becoming one of the one of the talked about teams, and um, we've tweeted. Well, I think James has tweeted this out on uh, Shark Tank account a couple of times. The twenty eighteen form table, which has us only second only to Leicester, who are one of the best sides in the second half of the season in the entire history of the Premiership. So, um, it's just nice to have that sort. Of was being talked about in that way by the media, and you can see it in the amount of coverage that's been picked up. Um, so I think it's 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 a bit of a it's it's not unexpected. We all said we'd win, I think, um, and or well, we were all fairly confident at least. And it's been a continuation of a good run of form, um, and we did well to win it. What's the diff? What the nice difference is that when we're in the last minute and we needed to score a try to win the game, we haven't managed to completely mess it up, although we did mess it up about three times before by going off our feet or giving the ball away. We did actually manage to close the game out, so that's good to see, and 
Hopefully that can continue for the rest of the season and beyond next season. Uh, James, so with this win now, Sale currently sixth. They're one point behind Newcastle in fifth and only three points behind Wasps, uh, who occupy the last top four place at the moment. After this win, should Sale's focus for the rest of the season? We've been talking for weeks about Sale trying to push, you know, sneak their way into the top six. Can we finally say that Sale can be looking a little bit... Can the goals be a little bit loftier now? Is the top four a genuine possibility? Oh, it's definitely, a, yeah, absolutely. It's generally a possibility because we play two teams in and around us competing for the same positions in the in the last three games. So it's going to go probably one way or the other. We certainly need to win either against Newcastle or against Leicester to, to get in the top six. And I think that we can all agree that after the start we have this season that we would absolutely take that. Um, however, if we win against Newcastle on Friday then it just opens up the possibility almost for a playoff against Leicester last game of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if we then sent a weakened side to Exeter and then just, you know, threw everything that we had in that last game against Leicester. What an occasion that would be because everyone loves being Leicester, especially at home. And uh, if that got us into the top four, I mean, I just wonder whether that would be slightly overperforming if we took our whole season as a, as a whole. Um, but having said that, um, as I'll get into when I preview the, the Newcastle game. You know, if you actually look at the, the amount of losing bonus points that we've had and the amount of close games that we've lost um, and our points difference, it would point to sort of a sort of a you know a fourth or fifth placed finish this year. Um, so I think we've got the underlying performance in this in this team. It's worth though just taking into note, I know I'm sure we'll come on to this um, to begin with, but depending on the fitness of you know, likes of O'Connor, Addison, we are in a bit of a crisis um, in, in the backs at the moment um, in terms of depth. So uh, we'll see We'll see what we do. Um, as I said, for that extra game, maybe that's a chance to just send the week inside down. There's no crisis. We've got Luke James on the bench. There's well, no he might be starting now. That's the point. That, who, who are we going to have on the bench if he's starting? Who cares? Who, do we, who else do we need, mate? He's, he's a revelation. <laughs> I keep hearing these amazing yeah. things about Cameron Redpath and Kieran Wilkinson, so maybe they can be top six standard players at 18. No, but I, I think with Redpath and just a serious point on Redpath and Wilkinson is they've got they're doing their A levels, um, so I'm pretty sure that after they've finished, um, they're not playing for the Jets or anything at the moment. I'm pretty sure that they're not with Sale um, at the moment since the Six Nations finished for the under 20s and the and the competition for the under 18s. So I don't think we'll see them until uh, they come into the full squad over the summer. Right, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave all the prospect talk to James, and I think we're getting a little bit too uh, ahead of ourselves talking about 18 year olds yeah. uh, playing in the uh, uh, playing in the Cell team next year. Let's actually go back a, a little bit. And every Monday, we ask you guys, our loyal, loyal listeners, your opinions. Uh, to summarise your opinions on the, the previous game in three words or less, uh, and we, unsurprisingly, we've got loads this week, and they're all super positive. Martin Whiteley, now we are hunting. Simon, fly, flying pests swatted. Uh, rugby, hashtag rugby cell sharks going top four. Gregor Lennon, season not over. Dan Pot, AJ is king. Lee Watson, John, o, uh, John o Ross, magnificent. I swear a lot of these are the same uh, the same ones we get every single week. Uh, Manco, don't stop believing. Paul Swift, character, resilience, bravery. And Gary Holmes, what a finish. 
let's let's okay. Let, let's let's start at the end. We're gonna we're gonna dissect this sale game. Uh, but let's start with the positives and all positives. Marlon Yard going in, uh, going over the court, going over in the corner in the ninety second minute. Alex, you, you mentioned it before. Was this a turning point for for sale for sale sort of psychological? Style this idea that for so many seasons we've seen this team wilter at the end when it's just taken a try or a penalty or a drop goal to get over the line and win a game and every time they'll come up short we saw it at the start of the season with Exeter and Newcastle is this victory over Wasps in the manner that it occurred a huge psychological barrier cleared by this by the sale team? Um, I think it it will help. But I still think that that lack of clear thinking under pressure is there because we had, we were in exactly the same position two minutes earlier, at which point we did exactly what we did against Exeter, went off our feet, gave away a penalty, Wasps cleared it. But I do think we've got the players in this team who, you know, Yard has played at international level. You look through our, our squad now and you've got much more experienced heads. Um, I think McGinty is really key to that as well. He's such a general on the field that I think that sort of calmness influences a lot. And I mean, we even tried to butcher that try. So we're not quite there. It's not, you know, we can now close out tight games because I was watching that try, the ball get passed along the line for that try. And it was about a succession of about three terrible passes followed by Marlon Yard very nearly going into touch. But it's one of those where sometimes it just falls your way, and I think we deserve to win the game anyway. I think it was after the Danny Cipriani knockout and subsequent recovery, the fact that two of the Wasp players went off the field and our scrum half, who's 5'7", stayed on it with a lump on the side, on the side of his head the size of South Africa. Um, I think it was just something in the, in the mindset that was... We are going to win this game. You sort of, it did feel a bit different. Um, so hopefully it'll be a bit of a turning point. But I don't think we're there yet. I still think we're really struggling tight games at the end. But what a way to win it, and no better club to win against. James, it'd be very easy to point to that Marlon Yard try uh, as as the moment of the game, the turning point of the game. Obviously, you know, it was a it was a try to win the game in the in the very last play. But are there any other moments in this sale wasp game that really stood out to you, and perhaps uh, perhaps any that indicated that the tide was properly turning for sale, and that a win was actually now on the cards, having been in such a uh, such a deep hole to start the game? Oh, I wonder whether going seventeen 0 down. This might sound a bit ridiculous, so bear with me. Actually, just took the pressure off us a little bit. You know, we just we just started playing some some really good rugby suddenly after we we, we went seventeen 0 down, and it was clear that we were getting on the front foot. Um, Getting over the line with Webber was was obviously important for us. I think if, if Watson managed to hold us out in that phase of play, maybe our heads would have gone down. But it was clearly a moment of magic, wasn't there, for the second try with McGinty um, and his chip over the top. And those two tries in very quick succession, just you know, just before half time, changed the momentum um, of the game, which we continued. In, you know, obviously with Evans's try at the beginning of the second half. Uh, where we maybe got a little bit lucky. Um, Robson doesn't make many mistakes, does he? But he didn't have a, his best game and left without four teeth, um, which is a bit unfortunate, really. Um, so, yeah, I think that there the, was the momentum shift just before and just after half-time. That's really what, what changed it. Yeah, that, that Mike McGuigan tribe was... It, because the try with Rob Webber was sort of a long time coming and eventually we got over and you think, right, OK, we've got a try back. But to score again so quickly, 
I think that combined with the Bryn Evans try after half time just wasps mentally sort of that was a big shift for them from go and it was quite similar to what happened against Leicester with them against Leicester at Welford Road they looked really really good they were all over it they scored two good tries they nearly scored a third when LaRue cut through the middle and then you know they just Leicester got one back and suddenly that whole game turned on that sort and I think it's that sort of mental thing which is nice not to be on the wrong end of for once yeah, I would say though that against uh, against Leicester, I mean, was with miles the better side uh, and should have won by about thirty points. Um, how they lost the game, I've got no idea. Whereas actually against Sale, apart from the first fifteen to twenty minutes, I thought Sale were the better side over the course of the whole game. Um, you're right, was had the the win knocked out of them, but you know, for Sale to to come back the way they did. I've not. I don't think I've seen Sale play like that for for, for really quite a long time. So we've seen them smash Iris. We've seen them smash Worcester. But I thought that that was fun. They're really fantastic. You, you made a very good point there, James. And this might be reflected in uh, in the stats that we have available to us. But midway through the second half, I was watching the game on BT. Uh, they had the possession stats up, and considering Wasps at this point had scored twenty five points or whatever it was. Their actual possession stats was was surprisingly low. They had about sort of twenty thirty percent of the ball at, at, during some parts of the game, uh, and it was a case of Sale came out of the game uh, came out to start the game extremely flat. Were completely taken out of it with some very quick thinking and some very well worked tries by Wasps. And then after the first fifteen minutes, Sale had all the possession and all the territory. Uh, and Wasps, whenever they had the chance to sort of get back into it. They would take their opportunities and, and and either build out the lead or or, or or come or come back after they were trailing. It was it was actually very it was almost Sale esque in in how they played. How all season we've seen Sale play on the back foot, you know, play without the ball in possession and just take their opportunities when they arose. And it's something Wasps actually did very very well against Sale. Um, but it, I think you made some really good points there to link the Evans try at the start of the second half with the McGuigan try. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but after the McGuigan try. Wasps, the head, the players of the Wasps uh, team, the heads were down. They looked disinterested. All the momentum, momentum was with Sale, and it looked like it. There couldn't have been a worse time for the uh, for, for the half time to come, just because Sale at that point looked like they were going to run absolutely rampant. It's very easy then for you to lose your momentum over over a fifteen minute break and having your orange slices or whatever. So. Bryn Evans' try 40 seconds after the restart was, was I think, critical in ensuring that Wasps, was, you know, their, their psychological blow continued to have a lingering effect. Ansel got the, got the tails up, pardon the pun, uh, and were able to keep the momentum going because I think it'd be very easy to score those two tries, come back within two points, and then get drawn into a bit of a, a, bit of a war of attrition and a slog in the, in the sort of first 10 minutes of the second half uh, and then sort of lose all your momentum. So, so Bryn Evans, for me... That that moment of brilliance charging down down Robson, I think, was 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 pivotal in, in helping sell sell uh, complete the comeback. I've got to say as well, when I think the atmosphere in the stadium on Friday night was one of the probably the best this season. Having been to, I think I've been to every game Park Sally's, and probably the best for the last few years. The last time I can remember an atmosphere that was as good was probably when we played Munster at home in the Champions Cup and we were just uh, lost by one point to last minute drop goal. And, and there were 4,000 Munster fans there to raise the atmosphere. 4,000 Munster fans to sort of, you know, pad it out. But genuinely, it was it was a really good atmosphere. Everyone was behind the team and, you know, 
what led me to this was that McGuigan try, just the sort of roar in the crowd. And then that carried on after half-time. The crowd picked up with it. Um, it was pretty niggly game all the way through. There was, you know, a few few scraps, a few controversial moments. And then, obviously, right at the end of the game, the, the Cipriani getting knocked out, that was all sort of... But the atmosphere when we scored that last try was absolutely incredible. It was just, it was, you know, one of the... One of the best atmospheres there's been at the AJ about, I think, and it's a combination of um, a number of things. Um, I hate to do this to you, Lewis, but I think Friday night did help because, you know, Friday night lights sort of atmosphere changed the mood a bit. Obviously, everyone's, you know, had been having a drink beforehand and stuff, and it was it was just really nice. I still don't think I still prefer Saturdays, don't worry. I'm not doing this to you <laughs> live on the pod. But... Um, so I think that was a big factor as well. I mean, you know, players always say this, oh yeah, crowd, crowd were great, but I, I genuinely felt like the crowd made a bit of a difference on Friday. What was the attendance figures for Friday's game? Do you know? In the stadium, it was announced as like 6,000-something. 6, 6, okay. um, it looked really full. To me. It felt really full around me. Uh, usually, there's not a lot of people around me, and we were pushed for space, but, you know, it's, it's hard, because I'm in the main stand, so the... The one opposite um, looked fairly full. About you know, uh, South Stand was obviously fairly packed, and the the um, is it the Wooden Spoon Stand up the other end yeah. had more than three people in, which for the Wooden Spoon Stand is you know packed to the rafters, so to speak. It is interesting that you mentioned the atmosphere, um, especially because there doesn't seem to be any noticeable difference in, in the crowd size. So this idea that the crowd really were the 16th man, as cliche as it was, is, is very interesting. And, and what a great advert for Sail Sharks Rugby on TV. We, we, we bemoan time and time again Sail with this opportunity to showcase their attacking and exciting brand of rugby and, and draw the neutral fan in who might just be flicking on BT Sport on a Friday night, only to see Sail score three points over the course of 80 minutes and, and look turgid and, and uh, lethargic. What a great advert for, the, for both the Premiership and, and Sale, you know, uh, uh, scoring 55 points, back and forth, end-to-end rugby, and obviously a, a grandstand finish um, that, that you almost couldn't have written uh, better. James, any any thoughts then on on before we uh, before we go on to talk about individual performances? Any any sort of any, any thoughts to summarise what this get what this win meant for Sale and and what it meant for, for everything that happened? And maybe touch a little bit on the Danny Cipriani uh, injury uh, at the end as well. Well, I just think it puts us on on the radar of quite a few people. Um, you know, I just read a few interviews in the rugby paper this weekend. You know, with Joe Launchbury talking about how, you know, Gloucester and Newcastle are competing this season, you know, not a mention of Sale. Um, you know, the fact that all the neutral watchers of Sale would have had to watch the Exeter and Newcastle games with us this year. And when I explained to my friends that we've scored almost as many tries and try bonus points than any other team in the competition this year, they sort of look at me a little bit shocked. And I was trying to explain to one of my friends that, you know, BT continually moving our bloody games to 7.45 on a Friday is a problem for a number of reasons. The fact that no one can get there at 7.45 and the fact that the weather conditions don't suit our game. They all look at me like, well, hang on a minute, isn't that, isn't that what Sale want? You know, ball at the, uh, the, the jumper. So I think, you know, for our brand of rugby, uh, to the neutral fan, it's really brilliant. And then also, um, I've spoken to a few people who are at the game on Friday who were maybe you know, holding on at sale as season ticket holders who are now like, yeah, I really want to renew my season ticket. 
and there might be a few sitting at home going, oh, I really want to be part of that atmosphere. You know, Yardy scoring in the corner, you know, the, the celebrations with Sam James and all this, and, and on the touchline with Diamond and Solomona. I mean, it did look like it, it was a, it, it really is a, an exciting place to be at the moment. Because quite honestly, we need that. We need eight and a half thousand in there. You know, in a season running where we've got a chance to hit in the playoffs at home against Wasps, who are the most exciting team in the competition. That's six and a half thousand there. You know, that's that's not good, is it? So hopefully, this puts us on people's radars and changes the dial. Absolutely. I mean, I think the attendance war, the attendance problems that Sale have had since moving to the AJ Bell are, are obviously well documented, and we're not going to go into them here. But in previous years, you can understand why people are, you know, are not keen on battling through traffic for two hours to get to the AJ Bell just to watch Sale play a style of rugby that doesn't lend itself to the neutral fan, that doesn't, you know, bring people out of their seats. You know, it's 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 always fantastic when Sale win and, and win handedly. But there is something different about winning twenty one nothing and all three tries have been scored from a rolling mall. And a 28-27 game like this where it's back and forward and there's this uh, seven tries and, and the 12 such a, an exciting finish. It is a great advert for South Sharks rugby. It's a great advert for the Premiership. And you get the feeling that now they're in, now Sale are putting out a product that will draw fans in. They, are, they can definitively say, we're putting out a team that is going to dazzle, that is going to sparkle, that is going to make, that is going to entertain you. And as a result, I think it's going to help season ticket sales. It's going to help walk-ups on the day. I think it is a, a huge thing for rugby in the northwest that Sale can put out this team and say, well, our strength now is throwing the ball around and scoring tries and we're going to be this you know, razzle-dazzle Harlem Globetrotters-style team that will bring you bring you out of your seat. And I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing for the club. Uh, we, we've just been talking, obviously, about some of these players who will make you jump to your feet and applaud and sing and, and maybe even shed a tear or so. Uh, I know I did when Marlon Yard went over in the corner. Uh, Alex, let's go to some key individual performances. There's, it's, it's hard to pick out individuals when the team performs this well, but is there anybody you think deserves some special mention? Um, John O'Ross is something else. I just He is turning into a superhuman. The, the moment when, I think it was, was it Gopeth chipped over and Ross just ran back, covered it like... Uh, a fullback or a centre. He was making runs. He was throwing offloads out of the tackle. He was tackling his heart out. He is just a monster, and he is a leader on the field as well, uh, which we really need. And I think he's probably becoming our most important player. Should he? Um, he uh, much was made of the fact that he's English qualified on the BT Sport broadcast on Friday. Should he go to South Africa in the summer? With England, with England, he's yeah. South African. He's, in, um, he's English qualified through his grandparents. Yeah, uh, I, whether he should or not, mate. Um, <laughs> sort of back rows playing very well for their club, who have got origins in the sort of southern half of Africa, don't seem to do very well in Eddie Jones's mind. Um, coughed on Armand, coughed. So. I don't think he will. Um, on his performances, in terms of the back row, you look at well, he look at Haskell as the Six Nations. Look at John O'Ross all season. He should be there over Haskell, but I don't think he will. But yes, on form, should. And then Luke James as well as my other player who was outstanding under a lot of pressure. James, you've got something you want to say about John O'Ross's uh, England candidacy. 
Well, I think he's been absolutely outstanding and one of the signings of the season. He took a bit of a while to get going and now he's our most important player. He's also brilliant at eight as well when Strauss went off. I wanted to make that point. On going to play against South Africa, um, considering the fact that I think that the grandparent rule should be abolished immediately um, to help international rugby, I don't. I, I, on principle, I don't think he should be going to represent England against his country of birth. But... On eligible, current eligibility rules, I think he should. I think he should go. I think Chris Robshaw is is, is struggling in a poor Quinn side, and I think he would be great at six. He can do everything. He can carry the ball. He tackles. He catches ball. You know, he's 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 do, you know he's workable in the line out. So yeah, and then on Luke James, I think you're absolutely right to come on under those circumstances. Um, and what what I really like about Luke James is that I think he understands that you know his. Uh, the sort of boundaries of his of his current talent, right? So he's not like Sam James. He's not a you know an amazing footballer. He's actually a converted back row, really. But he's big. He makes his tackles. He know he, he shifts the ball on quickly when to more fast people outside him when he when he needs to. And if he's not sure, he just trucks it up. Uh, and and I, there's a lot to be said about that that he understands like you know where his talent's coming at and we can add to his skill set over the years if we forget he's 19 he's only 19 he's really young so the fact that he's come in and can operate so calm under the pressure he has I think bodes really well and he looks just as comfortable in the 12 and 13 channel as well which I think going into next year if Van Rensburg's on his way will be very important uh, because we look a bit short at 13 I think yeah I think I I, I think on Lou James, yeah, that that I, I said it on Twitter after the game, um, he didn't set the world alight. You know, he wasn't running the ball in from fifty meters or absolutely smashing people in the tackle. But he's just a very dependable player, and you're absolutely right, James. He is he is only nineteen, and he has shown a base core, uh, sorry, a base line of ability that Cell can add on to. They can teach him how to offload the ball. They can teach him how to kick the ball out of hand. You know, it seems to be working with AJ McGinty. But what what impressed me the most is with, with Lou James is just this. He, he trucks the ball up the middle when he needs to. He makes his tackles. He's very good at actually holding up players in the tackles. Well, he, he, his decision making for someone so young is absolutely superb, and that's what consistent has consistently impressed me every time I've watched him play. I've not, you know, he's not making me jump out of my seat. I, I, I'm not particularly excited when he gets the ball. I just know he's going to make the right decision. He's going to give the ball to who it needs to go to. And he's just going to be a solid, dependable player. Which, like, like you said, in the twelve or the thirteen channel, where you've got big ball carriers running down, uh, running down, uh, <coughs> pardon me, running down your channel, trying to identify a weakness, having someone who you know can stand up in a tackle uh, and then immediately get back into line to make another one is is such a is such an unheralded skill, and it, it bodes very, very well for the future. That if nothing else, he's going to be a really dependable squad player who you know can come in come into the side in a pinch when when there's an injury. Uh, and just give you a solid 65, 70 minute performance and, uh, and really facilitate those uh, those players around him. Yeah, and I think when you've got McGinty, we've got De Klerk at 9, McGinty at 10, Sam James at 13, and let's say O'Connor at 15, thinking ahead to next season. At 12, you just want somebody to be doing the simple things right. You don't want someone to be winning the game for you every time they touch the ball, because we've got side buddy full of that. And to be honest, they're probably getting each other's way. You need somebody to be trying to read others, you know, and uh, trying to, you know, give the ball to the people who can, you know, make the difference. 
I think, so I think I think Luke James is, is a great find from this year going into next year. Yeah, and just on that point, and that, that's why McGinty is such a good fit for this sale team because his his, his crossfield kick to McGregor aside, he isn't necessarily the most dynamic playmaker in the world, but he doesn't need to be because he has De Klerk and Solomona and Yard and O'Connor and Sam James and everyone uh, outside of him. And I think... I mean, obviously, if, if Van Rensburg comes back to sale in the summer, you know, there's another show-stopping talent at 12 that can win the game uh, with a moment's notice for you. But I think if, if that doesn't materialise, just being able to run out McGinty and James and just know you have those dependable players who will make sure the playmakers in your team get the ball when and where they need it is very, very important looking ahead here for, you know, for the next two, three, four, five years. He's, he's only 19. He could be a sale player for the next 15 years. Yeah, agree. It may surprise you to know I hate to preempt my own stats section, um, but and it, this doesn't make any sense to me. But Luke James made twelve carries for fifty-four meters, which was like the fourth highest meter maker in the game after Haley McGuigan in the yard. So quietly, just and I think that's that's part of it that he's only a kid, he's only young, but every time someone came and you know, ran into him, he stood up and he hit them. You know, he had um, Thompson and Willis and Young running down his channel. And they they might have got a bit of momentum, but they didn't really get the kind of, you know, the, the breakthrough they were looking for down that 10-12 channel. And I think the injury to O'Connor probably almost worked in our favour because I, I am sure that Loss were targeted that for the game. And so O'Connor at 12, threw him, threw him, threw him. You know, wrap them up, pull it out wide, and wasps out wide are going to score every time if you if you go through that channel. And with Luke James, I'm not saying he was the key to the victory, but he just looked so solid and so dependable. And every time you know they were coming down his channel, he didn't he didn't think that he was going to go anywhere. And it is, as you say, he's only a kid, and to be tackling you know those kind of runners coming down the channel is, is massively impressive and I think holds a lot of hope in the future. And I do agree that our, we don't need showy players. We've got enough showy players. We can, you know, if we want showy players, we've got the cash to go and get them. We need that squad dependability. Well, it looks like Luke James is the flavour of the month on the podcast uh, this month. And we could obviously wax lyrical about his performance for the full uh, for the full hour here, but let's let's move on to the stats, Alex. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping there's some uh, there's some tasty ones in there, uh, as you'd hope, given uh, given how uh, how impressive Sale were last Friday. Oh, do you know what? Sometimes we play rubbish and I go, look, the stats were really good. What what's gone wrong? And sometimes we play really well and the stats are actually not that exciting. And then sometimes we win a game in the 92nd minute after a concussion and knockout and two players off the field, and the stats are awesome. So, you know, it just all comes together, doesn't it? Um, 67% territory, 65% possession or sale, which is genuinely unheard of. That's no exaggeration that that has not happened this season. Um, We beat 37 defenders to Wasps 20. We made 576 metres to Wasps 298, which, you know... That Wasps lineup, you looked at it and you went, God, they're going to run through us. They've got LaRue, Wade, Cipriani, Gothard, Daly. And they just didn't. I mean, they scored three tries, but they, they didn't get the kind of ball they were looking for. They only made 100 carries, which I think is probably reflective of our dominance. And they made 256 tackles to our 95. So it was just a game of headlines where Sale won everything they needed to. Um, 
attack-wise. So on the Optus stats, you get your top five of uh, carriers, meter makers and tacklers. And usually all the top tacklers are sale. And then the carries and the meter makers are usually the opposition. Whereas this week, top six carriers were all sale. Um, Ross, AJ McGinty up there, uh, Ross Harrison, Rob Webber, Sam, no, Luke Jones, uh, and Mike Haley. And, oh no, Sam Jones. Sorry, sorry, Sam. I've done you injustice there. Luke Jones is in the top meter makers behind Haley McGuigan and Yard, as I said before. All the top tacklers are Wasp players. We've just, we completely dominated them in every area. We've won every scrum. We've won every line out. Um, our defence was pretty good. Um, one interesting stat from the defence, which I quite enjoyed, um, nothing to do with sale, but Danny Cipriani made 19 tackles, which is bloody impressive for Danny, considering I remember him at sale when he used to be a revolving door of defence when he first arrived. You know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bat for Cipriani here. That was the case when he first arrived, but he got so much better after 18 months two seasons at sale and he actually became one of our most dependable tacklers yeah I completely agree he left sale a very good defensive 10 um, he really did and he's carried that to us unfortunately for us yeah um, what did you th- a genuine question by the way sorry to interrupt myself but when Sippers got yellow carded there was quite a lot of booing in the stadium and I'm not sure whether I like that I was slightly I, well, I wasn't doing, but I'm interested in your opinions on whether we should be booing Danny Cipriani when he gets yellow carded for tapping it out of fast hand. I don't. I don't think the player's previous history should have any impact on it. And I think. I think if it was Elliot Daly or if it was Guy Thompson or anyone else, the cell fans would probably boo the same. I mean, I know it's. I know it's different. I know it's hard to separate the emotions of obviously having Cipriani spurn us to go back to us, but. I think at the end of the day, every time I've seen a sell, uh, an opposition player get sent sent off at sale, there's been some jeering, there's been some chants, there's been some booing. I, I don't think it matters. Uh, I don't. I, I don't it's know. no different to any other team. I mean, you know, you go to Franklin's Gardens, you get simping. You know all about it on the walk back. <laughs> and and uh, actually, I saw my dad on telly because his season tickets are just um, above the opposition bench. So Cipriani goes back and I could just see him. He's having the best time of his life. He's just waving at him, you know. Thanks for coming back, Danny. You know, and that's what it's all about when you're the away team. You've got to get a bit of stick. Um, we actually, the crowd showed its worth when he got, you know, carried off after 10 minutes um, and uh, showed our appreciation to him then. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. All right, back to the numbers. Um, that's kind of about it, actually. Uh, the only worrying stat from this week is that AJ only kicked three out of seven. So we could have actually had a slightly more comfortable game. If uh, I mean, we say it, we said it last week. If AJ McGinty didn't have to take every bloody kick from the edge of the pitch, then he might be a slightly. He, he might be even better. And the McGuigan, I think he missed the McGuigan kick and the Evans one. Uh, if I remember rightly, he obviously got the Weber one because that was into the post. Uh, he missed Yardy as well. And he, he missed, missed the Yardy one, and then he, he missed, missed the on Yard, was he? No, not really. We'd already won the game, but then he did miss one slap bang in the front of the post that he should have got, and actually, it came up short, and it wouldn't have gone over if there'd been about four posts to the right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was the worst kick I've ever seen McGinty do. Yeah, so. That's the only real work on for next week. Defensively, we're pretty sound. Um, 
I'll go for a player of the week, and we've already said it, so this is quite bad. But Luke James, as I said, 12 carries, 54 metres made, seven tackles, apparently non-missed, although I don't know whether they're counting the Wade incident. So um, we'll brush over that. But yeah, smashing performance from him. Um, Rob Webber as well, Ross Harrison, as ever, just... Um, a human machine. Bit of a same shame James Flynn actually, who I thought got rewarded for a good performance against Worcester with actually getting brought on with some time to spare and then went off after three minutes injured. So um that was a shame because I thought he did play really well last week and deserved to come on and, you know, close out the game. Um but just one last thing, we did actually use our bench this week in a tight game and it sort of paid off for us. The only one who didn't come off the bench was Will Cliff, but other than that, everyone else came off with at least 15 minutes to go. So that was I mean, fine to see. When Will Cliff sees a 6-2 bench announced, he must just go, oh, shit, that's me not getting any game time at all. Because you just can't you just can't risk it. You, can, you can't risk bringing him on after 60 minutes when you've only got two backs on the bench. Yeah. Oh, well, that was a very odd decision to replace um, a band Deli, Deli Solomona with... The <laughs> well-known winger TJ Ioane when Paolo Dogru was in the squad at the ground and in the warm-up, so clearly fit. So uh, I don't get it, but I'm not Steve Diamond. Yeah, what, did, what does Paolo Dogru have to do to get a game? Actually, really quickly on uh, on sort of uh, forced changes, uh, quick word for Alex Taros, who I thought had a, a solid game. Didn't have the impact on the game that I think Wilgriff John would have, but I think his, his clearing out, his, his ball carrying, the scrum went reasonably well. Uh, and obviously having to be drafted in the last minute when you've been uh, training all week to, to play 15 minutes off the bench is obviously very difficult. So well done to Tyros, who, who definitely looks like he's getting trusted a little bit more uh, with uh, with some extended game time and much like uh, James Flynn. Alex, you've just done a superb job of summarising the thoughts and uh, uh, the stats from this week's game. And you've obviously talked for a very long time. But we're going to go straight back to you because... Everyone has been, it's been a very hot topic on, on Twitter these last couple of days. Uh, Denny Solomona banned for four weeks for uh, allegedly using a, a homophobic slur uh, during the game against Worcester towards Jamie Shilcock. Uh, Alex, we believe you have some thoughts that you, you want to share about uh, about the incident and about Solomona's suspension. Yeah, so I think James summed it up pretty well on Twitter this week that, you know, we are not. As he, I, I don't want to quote him, but we're not calling Denny a liar. If, but if he said what he said and he's been found guilty, so when the verdicts came out guilty, you go right. That needs to be thrown the book out, get it out of the game. Um, and I totally agree with that. And I think if there is, you know, if there's any evidence that he said it, then he should be banned and he should be, you know, educated as well, if, if that's the kind of thing that's in the game. You've kind of seen it recently with Falau and the whole controversy with him about the remarks he's made a couple of times. And it's just, there's no place for it in the game at all. That said, when you, you know, on a separate issue, when you look at the what the RFU have released, which I think we retweeted earlier today, which is how I found it, just out of interest, because I love reading disciplinary notes, because it's great. Um, one of the highlights from this one, actually, um, was to do with the word... Um, so, part H of uh, 
Denny's statement, just read you this out. I, I hope uh, our listeners aren't offended by this. If you're offended by the language, please just mute for a second. But, Pike, fuckwit is a common expletive in New Zealand and is the equivalent of calling someone a knobhead or dickhead. So that is a genuine quote from this um, RFU um, transcript of the disciplinary. But the point I'm getting to is Steve Diamond made a classic Steve Diamond inflammatory comment before the game about how it was one player's word against another. And when you look at what the RFU put out, they basically put out something that says there's no video evidence. So the first thing is we've looked at the video evidence. We can't we can't see anything on there. So we now go to the evidence of both players. We've gone to the evidence of Shilcock, the evidence of Solomon. And basically what has happened is what I said before has been translated from New Zealand slang, apparently, as if people didn't know what it means, is what Dennis has said he's said, and Shilcock has said he's said, uh, the homophobic slurs, which is... So they've got, they are, you've come down to this sort of... As Steve Diamond said, one word against another. And I don't think it's as simple as Diamond is making out. I don't think it is, you know... If you go out and call someone out, then you shouldn't be able to prosecute. If, if you've got reason to believe that someone's said what they've said and there is you know, considerable evidence supporting that or any evidence support, that's fine. But when you look at what the RFU put together and sort of the prosecution, if you will, of Denny, then a lot of the evidence seems to stack up. And I was quite surprised reading it because every evidence seems to say we've got no conclusive evidence here, no conclusive evidence for this. You know, Nothing from the Worcester winger. He said he didn't hear anything from being stood next to it. The assistant referee didn't hear anything who was stood next to it. So it is Shilcock versus Solomon. Um, and it's it's almost to me like Denny has been, has been punished by the RFU in a sort of, we want to make sure everyone knows that this isn't acceptable, which is absolutely the right message to send. I'm just concerned about the way it's been, in which it's been done. And I don't think it's, you know, it's not going to cost us our season. It's not, you know, it may be for the best interest of the game, but I do have a little bit of sympathy with Steve Diamond on this, that if you go and read that report, I don't think there is evidence to say that Denny has said what he said. And Denny has denied it and is now in the media guilty in their eyes and to the wider rugby media, which I don't think is massively fair on his record. Yeah, well, I mean, so there's a few issues here to, to that I think a lot of um, people on Twitter obviously feel quite passionate about, and they either <laughs> pick on one side of the issue or the other. Um, and I think we've just got to take it in the whole. So Diamond's point that what is said on the pitch should stay on the pitch, I think is bollocks. Yeah, if someone has said if someone has said something that is homophobic and it is reported to the referee and you know and you know and it's proved, then I'm sorry, no homophobia in rugby banned for a long time. That's my personal view. In this instance, um, you've got to be found guilty, though, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, that's the country we live in. You've got to prove the guilt, right? And I don't understand how they've come to this conclusion. Right? There's no evidence. It's one person's word against another person's word. They've looked at Solomona and they've looked at Shilcock and they've decided that Shilcock was a reliable um, witness. Well, what about Denny? Is he not a reliable witness? Yes. It's just one person's word versus the other. So I'm sorry, I don't understand how the RFU, without any evidence, have come to a decision to ban him. Because as you've said, he's actually bought 
brought Solomona, his name and reputation in the game, and Sales Sharks' reputation in the game into disrepute. And I'm actually quite surprised that Sale are not actually, um, um, you know, bringing a, a, another case. I mean, maybe it's just because we've been in the news so much recently, they didn't want to go through the rigmarole um, of, of it all. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand uh, how they've come to, to that decision. I mean, I, I, I don't really want to get involved in this. Um, I think it's a lose-lose scenario uh, for, for everybody involved. Um, I think the passion of the Sale fans can definitely be admired. Uh, we've had a lot of tweets about this in the last couple of days. We've we've had uh, some interesting statements accused accusing us of being too aligned with the club, um, and uh, but and and apparently we've been taking sides on this, which is certainly not the case. We've all said that we are not taking a side on this. We we were not privy to what happened. We are uh, we we are at the behest of the ruling. Really, it is unfortunate what has happened. It's unfortunate that this incident has come about at all. But the facts are. Denny Solomon has been banned for four weeks for allegedly using a homophobic slur. If it turns out that was the case, it is extremely disappointing. Uh, I agree with both of you that there is absolutely no place for homophobia in rugby, and it's it, it's something that should be treated with absolutely zero tolerance. Uh, and I think you're right, Alex. So very important, especially in light of the Israel uh, Israel Falau comments. It is very important that this uh, this sort of uh, issue is is acted upon and. Uh, and sort of educate, and then the players are educated to, to stop this sort of thing from happening. And and I, I, we are, none of us are calling Solomon a guilty. None of us are saying he isn't guilty. But the fact of the matter is, Solomon has been banned for four weeks. He probably missed the rest of sales season, and and unfortunately, we it's something we just have to deal with. Um, but but going going back to our on field matters, let's let's let's, let's take. Let's have, take a more positive track on the, for the rest of the podcast. Uh, forgetting all the off-field drama uh, and putting it to one side, Selech have a very important game coming up this week. In what might be the most important Northern derby since the Premiership rugby began, Sale travel to Newcastle Falcons on Friday night looking to both consolidate their top six place and continue their push for a top four place against one of the surprise packages of the season, Newcastle Falcons, who, for most of the season... I've been the darling of Northern Rugby. James, you're going to take us through uh, what what promises to be a tasty Northern derby in in what I hope becomes a a proper rivalry fixture in the coming years. How fantastic for Newcastle Falcons and Sale Sharks to be back at the top end of the table competing against each other for silverware in the Premiership. Uh, Just looking at Newcastle um, and their form since the beginning of February, um, they beat Gloucester in the Anglo-Welsh Cup and, and, uh, and then, of course, went on uh, and lost narrowly, actually, in the semi-finals of that competition to the Chiefs. Um, in the Premiership, they've lost away at Saracens. No shame in that. And then, most recently, away at Warriors. Um, so, thank you. Thank you, Worcester, for uh, helping us out there. And they've won the rest, basically, Newcastle. They've beaten Bath. They've beaten Quinns. They've beaten Gloucester. They've beaten Saints. And, of course, they also won their quarter-final in the Challenge Cup as well against Breve. Gloucester await them in the semi-final. So I suppose the point there is, make no mistake, as you said, the darlings of Northern Rugby so far this year, Falcons are competing on three fronts for silverware. Um, even if they come up short in all of them, I think this bodes really, really well for their future. I mean, when was the last time that Sale fought effectively on two fronts? Never mind three. So I think it's really important that we take that into into consideration. But I do think they're fallible. Fighting on three fronts, is it starting to catch up with them? 
you know, the loss to, to, to Worcester was a surprise at the weekend. Worcester's got nothing to play for. Um, also, if you actually dig a bit deeper into Newcastle's statistics, like in the table, they've got no losing bonus points, Newcastle, which basically means that they've won every single tie game that they've had, which is very, very unusual, isn't it? Um, and then also they've got a negative points difference, uh, which would actually put them down to about seventh or eighth in the table if you did the table on points difference. So, you know, I think they are fallible. I think they are beatable, especially at this time in the year. And I think we can go to them feeling confident. Who are the players to look out for? Well, they've got some homegrown, you know, really good young players. You know, Will Welsh, really underrated at the open side. Callum Green, Sean Robertson in the, in, in the second row. Obviously, Mark Wilson's had a bit of game time for England over the past 12 months, but he is out injured at the moment. Um, so is Tane Takalua, who's been brilliant at nine for them now for the last couple of seasons. No sign of him in the last couple of weeks. So that will also benefit Sale. Um, and the mantle has clearly passed through to Toby Flood, who has been absolutely outstanding in the last few weeks for, for Newcastle um, and really is carrying the, the team at the moment. So for Sale... The big questions for us, and then maybe we can have a quick discussion about, is how do we adapt to the pitch at Newcastle, uh, the 4G pitch? You know, it's heavy on the legs. Um, so how do we adapt to that? Also, you know, what sort of style of rugby are we going to aim to play? So Newcastle have played attractive rugby nearly all year round, apart from pretty much when they play us. Uh, I think they've worked out that really the best way to beat Sale is to keep it tight and just grind us into the ground over time and beat us like that in the slug match. Um, personally, I think Sale should be going for all or nothing for the five points up at Newcastle and try and score four tries. I don't know what the weather's going to be like, but uh, that's how I'd position it um, for Sale. I won't be trying to go and beat them up front. I think we need to move the point of contact around regularly, especially with them missing uh, Mark Wilson. I can't believe you've highlighted uh, Newcastle, the Newcastle Falcons players to watch and you haven't mentioned... Vinicky Goniver or Sonotti Sonotti, who might be the most potent duo of wingers in the entire league, and who are both having superb seasons for the Falcons this year. How did you, you figure that one out? Why? Oh, I just wanted to focus on the on the homegrown talent about <laughs> Newcastle. We babble on about it all the time for Sale, and you know, um, so do Saracens and Quinns. But I think a lot of these youngsters, these uh, homegrown players at, at uh, Falcons, have gone completely under the radar, not even considered for England. And when you consider the amount of them in the pack at Newcastle and the fact that they compete so strongly around the park and, and, and are very mobile, I think it's a very important part of the way that, that Newcastle play. And, of course, Sinotti, Sinotti and, and Gonover can strike from anywhere. But, you know, you could, have, you could have great players on the wing at Worcester as well. But, you know, if they don't even touch the ball, then, you know, <laughs> they're not going to score loads of tries, are they? You make, a, you make a very good point about that Falcons pack. And I think uh, Will Welch and, and, and Callum Green are, are two of the most underrated players in the entire premiership. I think if they were playing, I know I know it's very diamond-esque to say that if they were playing for a more attractive team down south, they'd be getting calls for England. But I think it's absolutely yeah. true. It's, it's, I mean, it's, and that, yeah. that says a lot given the, the, the strength of England's second row at the moment with Atoji and and um, Charlie Ewells and um, Cruz and Laws. But I think Callum Green and, and Will Welch were well up there in terms of one of the best, the, the best uh, lock duos in the entire prem, Premiership. Uh, Alex, 
James says we should come out and attack and the way Sale are going to win it is by throwing the ball around and, and trying to match Newcastle's firepower one-on-one. Do you agree with that approach or do you think this could be a game on a potentially tough Friday night in Newcastle where a bit of game management, a bit more conservative thinking might actually uh, might actually benefit Sale? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so part of me wants to... I, I don't think, you know, I think Sale... Uh, Point where we're in quite a strange position because because of who we're playing. If we make top six, we're almost kind of probably going to make top four. It's a very odd, you know. It's it, the way it's worked out is that the end of our season is either going to be absolutely immense or slightly disappointing because of who we're playing and when we're playing them. So I think you've got to go up there and. We look at our best when we are playing free-flowing, confident rugby and we get into teams and we get away from them. The one problem is we haven't really done that away from home this year. Um, I think we had two away wins, Worcester and Irish. Uh, and Northampton. And Northampton, yeah. So Northampton was one where we just, we properly looked confident and ran away with it. Three away wins in a year, that is... Oh, it's like the old days, isn't it? And, and we should have beaten Bath, and we probably should have done better against Harlequins. And Leicester. And Leicester, yeah, yeah of course, we should, should have beaten well. Leicester. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I think you've got to go for it, and you've got to use the talent we've got. We've got, you know, we, you can't go up there with Fafty Clerk and play a, a conservative game. You can't go up there with, you know, the likes of... Cause, because if you're going to put your Marlon Yard in your squad, which we are, Playing a defensive game isn't going to work, which is part of the reason we've never been picked for England because his defence is, um, shall we say, a development area. So he's <laughs> got to go for that. <laughs> I thought he did an all right job on Wade, though. Yeah, he did fine. I mean, it's it's an interesting one yard v Wade, isn't it? It's like two incredible attacking talents <laughs> and two slightly average defensive. But I thought I thought Yard was better defensively than Wade was. I thought Yard had the better Wade when they matched up. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think we've got to go for it. We've got to try things. If we try and keep it tight, Newcastle have got. I think Newcastle's pack is a bit more um, settled than ours. They've probably been together all season, whereas our pack have sort of come into their own in the second half of the season. So I think we're the form team. And I think we should go there with the confidence of being in the form that we are. You look, we should have won against Bath, lost by a point or two. And then we've battered Northampton, we've battered Worcester, and we've got a really good win at home against Wasps, who are one of the um, most expensive teams in the league. So we've got to go and do it. And we've got to, and not necessarily throw it about, not play a sort of Harlequins brand of self destructive rugby. But we play like we did against Wasps for the first 20 minutes or like we did against Northampton where we, we look solid defensively but then we take our chances when we get them. Then we've got a real chance. If we go and try and t- keep it tight, I think we'll, we'll lose. And I think if we try and throw it about from our 22, we'll lose. So it's difficult, but I, I think we've got to use the confidence we've got. James, James O'Connor is likely to miss the game. Uh, BT were reporting that he's, uh, the, the fear was a broken bone in his foot, which is what forced him off after only 10 minutes against Wasps. If we assume that O'Connor is the, uh, and obviously Solomona are the only players unavailable uh, from, um, from the team that we had ready for Friday's game, 
Do you think there are many wholesale changes they'll need to make? I mean, you'd assume Luke James comes in, but if Will Giftron's back, does he go straight back into the first team? You know, are, are there any sort of other elements that you think are coming to play here? Well, we need to see what, what the situation is with Will Griffjohn. Um I think if he is fit, he probably does come come back in. But if he doesn't, then Taros is clearly, he did really, really well for us. I think the question is also whether Addison is fit enough to come onto the bench if Luke James is starting, just to give us that centre cover. Otherwise, I think we genuinely are, we are without really a, a centre covering. Maybe Haley could do a job there, worst case scenario at 13. I don't know. It's not ideal, is it? <laughs> um, but we are really scraping the barrel uh, on, on that front. Otherwise, I think we've got a pretty settled team, haven't we? Ostrakov is the man in possession, playing really, really well. Beaumont has to come on as an impact in the, in the second row. Um, again, I think Tom Curry will come off the bench. I think Ben Curry's playing too well. He's another one. Just can't, I can't understand how he's not playing for England. And even after this weekend, everyone's still banging on about Jack Willis. Well, he's a good player, don't get me wrong. But his game the weekend was based on just tackling everything that moved. And he did put in a lot of tackles. And, but, and turnovers, uh, to be fair. He was very good at the breakdown. But I, I agree, Curry is the better all-round player. Well, I, I think, you know, people forget that Jack Willis is two years older than Ben Curry. But Ben Curry's probably played more... I don't, I don't know this for certain, but it'd be, certainly this year, Ben Curry has played more rugby than both Jack Willis and Tom Curry put together. So he, he's got to be considered for, for England. But yeah, as I said, set, settled team pretty much. Uh, we know what our first choice uh, 23 is. It's just whether you know we do 6-2 on the bench or, or whether we do 5-3 and a dog who comes on. And then it's whether you know Luke James will come in at 12, definitely. And it's whether Addison's fit enough to take his place on the bench. Uh, you printed my question there. I was going to say six two uh, with the options available to us. Six two. And I'm asking this to both of you. Six two bench split or uh, five three and bring a dog in. I'd still go. i still go five three. Is you know if a dog is going to be your man. So you know if if you could have Cliff Addison and uh, and a dog on the bench, that's what I would go for. But I imagine they'll go six two again. When I I walked past Addison outside the ground on um, Saturday, and he had his knee in a brace, so. Uh, whether we'll be around for next week is, um, I mean, Will Addison always has his knee in the brace, to be fair, a sort of permanent state of affairs from what I can see, but I'm not sure if he'll make it. I think it does leave us a bit, as you say, James, Redpath and Wilkinson, assuming they are studying hard for their A-levels, it, we're getting a bit threadbare. I think it may well end up with letting Josh Charmer go. wasn't such a good decision, was it? Our wing options have suddenly been depleted. Who, who do we? Who do uh, we actually have fit? Because you have, uh, let's say, Will Allison's not not available, and O'Connor's not available, so Luke James has to come in at twelve. Is it just Cliff and Adogwu? Are they the only senior first yeah. team backs? Uh, yeah, yeah, they Unless, are. I don't know what Jennings is. Where Jennings is? No, Jennings is out until pre-season. Yeah, his toes, her right old mess. So, Jennings out, Addison out. Leota's out. Leota, yeah, Leota's completely out. Um, Sammy Tuitupo was at the game the other day. He could probably come back and do a job and he's broken his leg. Where's John Leota up to? That's another thing. John Leota was aiming to come back. I I don't think it's, it doesn't look like it's happening, does it? I think, uh, I mean, I think given uh, given all the injuries Sale have in the back line, if he was ever going to play a game, it was going to be last week or this week. Uh, so yeah, keep keeping out for that, I suppose. If uh, Johnny Leota makes a, a surprise return to the, uh, the Sale Twenty Three for the trip to Newcastle, I guess that it's an indicator that he can at least uh, walk a little bit. So, I think it's all coming down to 
Um, well, there were two options. Either Tom Curry on the bench as a sort of centre. Uh, <clears> he'd <throat> probably play there because he's just awesome. Or the other option is, um, well, which will probably happen, maybe Matt Sturgis on the bench with Cliff as a sort of fly-half replacement, in effect, um, if we want to go 5-3. But we won't. We'll go 6-2. because we Yeah, 6-2, Cliff and a dog wing. Yeah, that's what it'll be. Oh, we, we really need to sign a backup fly-half, don't we? <laughs> We've been saying this for two years, three years. Unbelievable. Uh, imagine, just... imagine if we were in charge of sales transfer policy. We wouldn't have any of these issues because we just signed about three fly halves to make sure we've always got cover. Because <laughs> this is is almost is almost embarrassing. No disrespect to Will Cliff and Paolo Dogwood, but to get to this point of the season, even with the injuries we've sustained, and to have to only have two fit backs to, to come off the bench is is, is worrying. Especially since one of them, a Dogwood, is only twenty twenty one and has a, a handful of Premiership starts to his name. Is it is concerning, and it, it just it indicates that. Sales squad is very imbalanced, especially with Leota uh, and well, with Addison definitely leaving and Leota uh, likely to, to to not be around with the first team squad next season. Um, should we do some predictions? Let's. Um, so last week, where are we? How long ago was this? Ah, um, oh, here we go. Yes, I said twenty four seventeen to Sale. James okay. said 26-19 to Wasps Seven. and Lewis said 18-14 to Wasps. I think you take Lewis, it. Oh, <laughs> Lewis takes it. Lewis takes it on our new rule of points difference being more important than getting close to the actual score. Um, so, yeah, there we go. That's, that's just, um, everyone's happy, apart from me and James. <laughs> um no, that's so. Yeah, that is Lewis in the lead with three, James second with two, and me um, propping up the table in a sort of West Brom fashion with a disappointing one. <laughs> I, I I can't wait to see what trophy you two uh, put some money together to buy me when I win the uh, competition over the course of the season. It's going to be. Just well, don't worry, mate. We'll be very creative about it. <laughs> it's just going to be a bronze middle finger, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Um, so, yeah, James, I'll throw over to you. Predictions for Newcastle versus Sale at Kingston Park this Friday in the, on the 4G and probably the wet. Is it the wet? Is it? Is it going to be wet over there? Um, I just assumed. Yeah. A weather report. Uh, okay. Well, in that case, I'll, I'll, I'll change what I was going to do slightly. So, I'm going to go Newcastle 18, Sale. 26. Yeah, it, it, it is scheduled to rain on, on Friday night. Okay, and on that information, Lewis? Uh, I'm going to say 9-6 nine, nine, to Newcastle. 9-6 to Newcastle. <laughs> you can't just go with the smallest margin of victory and hope it works. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go 9-7. No, I'm not really going to go 9-7. I am going to... I think... Newcastle are probably not actually going to score that many points, so I'm going to say Newcastle maybe 11, and I think Sale have got it in them. Two tries, a couple of AJ penalties, maybe 18-11 to Sale, I'm going to say. Um, yeah, I think that's... We're all quite positive, then, other than Lewis and his... It's going to be great when it's on BT Sport, isn't it? 9-6 on a wet Friday night at Kingston hey, Bar. I'm, I'm going up for it. I'm going up to Newcastle for the game. 
So I mean, you've got YouTube. You've got YouTube being lovely and optimistic, and I'm the one predicting a, a 15 point game in in the pouring rain on the uh, on the tune. It's uh, yeah, it's a bit worrying really that I'm so pessimistic about the the chances of there being a good game since I'm getting a, getting the train up on Friday afternoon. Which, by the way, if there are any Shark Time podcast listeners um, going to the game, feel free to say hello if you recognise me walking around Kingston Park with my dad. It's the tall, smug one because it's three, two, one up in the predictions. Yeah, <laughs> for I'll, anyone be, looking at. I'll be I'll be carrying some sort of trophy with a world's uh, world's sagest rugby analyst on it. <laughs> right. If only. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we get out of here? No, all good with me, mate. Thanks to Opto again. Stats. Uh, thanks for listening.